Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Here's what DC is talking about. DC lost an icon this year. Born in 1937, artist Lou Stovall studied printmaking at Howard, and his posters and prints are a reminder of the spirit and struggles of the civil rights movement and DC's fight for home rule. He died at the age of 86 in March. Before his death, we joined Lou and his son Will at his collection at the Phillips Collection to find out more about his art's legacy and what it says about DC's past and present. Today is Wednesday, April 12th. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is CityCast DC. We are here with Mr. Lou Stovall and his son, Will. We're at the Phillips Collection, which is displaying your artwork. So I'm super excited to be here with you today. Uh, I want to start talking about your history a little bit. You know, you came to D.C. in 1962 to train at Howard University. What do you remember from that time studying in the 60s in D.C.? I remember spending a lot of time with Professor Porter. He would drive us around Washington looking at the various buildings and so on. And, of course, a few visits here to the Phillips. Porter wrote one of the first histories of African-American art. So this was in 62 when my dad was a freshman student and his classmates at that time were Mary Lovelace, a wonderful painter, Sylvia Snowden, who's being recognized. They're both being recognized um, in a great way now. David Driscoll was a professor, James Wells, Lois Jones. So it was an incredible hotbed of artistic energy and talent from professors and students. So as I look around at all of your art, I see a lot of silkscreen work. Why was silkscreen the medium that you decided to work with? Well, because there hasn't been very much done with silkscreen up to that point. And it was uh, something that I liked. I had a great facility in silkscreen. And since a lot of people didn't know about it and were interested in it, I thought, why not do silkscreen prints? Yeah, I think it's important that your work really helps people see the importance of this medium. I'm happy to see it here. And so, Will, we know that you have curated this exhibit. What has it meant for your family to be working with your dad's art in this way? I should say, I feel like my parents have been working with this kind of particular history of the DuPont Center since day one. They moved into their home in the early 70s. The posters on exhibit here were in cardboard boxes and were left that way. It wasn't really until 2016 that I had a chance to open them. And it's something I wanted to do since I was a kid. I heard stories about my dad making a poster, for instance, for Miles Davis and wanting to see it and then being told, 
oh, it's in this box. <laughs> you have to wait to see it. Um, so it's been kind of a wonderful re-examination kind of of this early history of my parents when they were around the same age I was when I started this in their mid-30s. It was almost like this link between my time, my presence, and my parents' own. So it was, it was this wonderful kind of family endeavor. That's so beautiful. What do you remember about your upbringing? Did you just grow up in a house full of art and artists and creatives? Yes, yeah. I, I think one thing about this exhibit is I think of there being a cast of characters that is the work of my dad and my mom, but also their friends, Sam Gilliam, who's also my godfather. You can't think of a kind of a bolder kind of person to have in any art context. He's, he's just one of many who came through my parents' home. He and my dad made 21 prints together, and these prints were like crusades almost. They would take months to do 100, maybe 130 colors all in one print, and Unlike um, maybe the way silkscreen is traditionally done, where there's an image in mind beforehand, they would just start with nothing. They would just make a screen and then print and then just hope there's a kind of a trace of where they would go from there. It was a very emotional, dynamic process. So things like that were a big part of the environment of the house that I grew up in, of just people just coming in and working and hanging out. It's incredible. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So we just took a look at your painting in every tree and wing on the right there. Um, it's beautiful, lots of reds and blacks and oranges and bold colors. Um, what do you like about this print? Why is this a special print to you? The dynamics of the color as the colors are put together, that's what means a lot to me. And you don't have to tell me how it relates to you. Yeah, I mean, something about this painting really speaks to me. It almost makes me feel a bit anxious, like it's, the colors are so bold, it doesn't allow you to just passively look at it. It really invites engagement in a way that it's difficult to ignore. It's, it's arresting, I guess is the word I would use. Oh, I, I love that. Um, this room, a thought I had was to kind of show these investigations of trying to capture a harmony in the natural world. and. It's something that I think had its culmination in a, a, a 1974 series my dad made called Of the Land that coincidentally was also the year DC won its home charter and its right oh, wow. to vote for a local administration and mayor. But these pieces two years before 
for me, maybe the way you were thinking of it or, or describing it is almost maybe the storm of all that energy before it kind of broke to something. So I, I love that, that it, there is a force to it of um, a force that represents visually all that energy of the beginnings of DC home rule and the fight to, um, to have a local government. Another thing to say is technically they display a range of silkscreen techniques that my dad had been building at the DuPont Center since 1969, where the colors went from maybe five or six to a hundred. And it's, it's really cool that this exhibit has um, a print from Jeff Donaldson, who was chair of the Howard Art Department in 1970. I've been told uh, by my mom that Jeff Donaldson and my dad wanted to price it at $10, just like the other posters, that as many people who wanted it could have it. Accessible. Accessible. So, Will, we were just talking about one of the prints by Donaldson that used so many different colors, and here it is. It is stunning. It was inspired by a newspaper article of an elderly couple being evicted, and then the photo screen is in the middle. It has to do with... Jeff Donaldson's imagination as to how the world would see and understand what was going through his mind as he pictured these two people standing in kind of a protective stance as they think about the keeping of the land. As a matter of fact, this was a direct reference to a news article related to the idea of protecting the land from development. Definitely still relevant in D.C. today. I mean, I feel like it still speaks to what's happening in our city right now. Yeah. I'm really drawn to this painting. It reminds me of my grandparents. My grandparents had this way of being, like it didn't matter that they were quite poor. They always had this air of pride and in photographs they look like they're a king and a queen and this couple photo in, in the painting reminds me of that feeling as well this feeling of of pride and that coming from innately in them yeah so it's one of those great pieces that really presents almost the range of everything you can do in silkscreen this print from the year after 1971 was printed by my dad in collaboration with Jeff Donaldson at the DuPont Center. So these were some of the first prints he would make for other artists. And at the same time, he was still making community posters. And I think this print is, is, is really amazing. It functions as, as a poster in a, in a way with a, with a message. The message is victory, but it is over nearly 100 colors. Everything about it is, is just a work of art. So you mentioned that this was done for the DuPont Center. What was the DuPont Center? It was a gathering place where artists would come and see what art was here and then celebrate quietly the whole idea of what they were doing and what they were thinking. The idea was to express what it was like to have a sense of quietude, a sense of place, 
a sense of ownership. I found a, a written statement in my dad's diary that introduces the DuPont Center in a wonderful way that does it better than I think anything else. So I'd love to read that if possible. Yes. From my dad's diary. Late summer 1968, I received a grant from Phil and Lenny to start a workshop for printmaking, silk screening. I got right to it and was really at it before I ever had a chance to know what I was doing or if it was really what I wanted. I guess that I vacillated a lot and finally the confusion of activities dealing with the starting and operations of a shop set itself in a direction and I pretty much let it go where it would, feeling that my best two qualities were one, basically honest, and two, essentially serious. I added a third just to make sure, that being hardworking. I generally printed and Lloyd designed, and after a while I asked Di to work full time for me as my helper. So with Lloyd, Di, and myself, we designed, printed, and organized that first little shop into what I consider to be a really neat endeavor. Walter, who was with it from the beginning, and his eye for spectacle, had us count every single sheet of paper that we had printed during our first year of operations over 51,000, a staggering figure to be sure. And now as I look back, we almost never left that shop and we did love it. In September, 1969, Walter said I could use DuPont Center for my shop. The space was something like 50 times what I had at that time and we really needed space. So in short order, I packed up and moved in. Wow, I'm so glad you read that. It really speaks to what you were talking about before, your father's work and his legacy really being part of the community aspect, like bringing together the feelings and the thoughts and the intentions of an entire community of a generation. It really speaks to that, I feel. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So 68 in, in January, Lloyd McNeil had a show at the Washington Gallery of Modern Art. At that time, my parents were making posters uh, for the Bohemian Caverns Jazz Club, Mm. for Summer in the Park, Serena Stage. And this was a time where their work for themselves and their friends really started to kind of balloon into working for really key parts of the city. And it was that kind of energy that moved them into the DuPont Center that got the attention of Walter Hoffs and Lenny Stern, whose work is also on display here. She was an artist, in addition to being the chairperson of the Washington Gallery of Modern Art. And it was a critical mass of energy that made it happen. I love that. I love how many important D.C. figures and also institutions like Bohemian Caverns, that's a D.C. institution. It's gone now, but it really like highlights that it was the coming together of all these key D.C. figures and places Mm -hmm. of a time. It seems that so much of the work that came out of DuPont Circle speaks to the particular social and political climate of D.C. in the 60s and 70s. What were some key, I don't know, times that really showed up in the art or inspired the art? Some of the earliest posters are from 1967 in the fall and move into 68, 69, 70. And during that time, they hit these wonderful milestones in DC organizing. One of the the most interesting ones is November 68. It's a poster for the architect and and urban planner, also advocate for DC home rule, Charles Cassell, who ran for school board. And in November 68, if you wanted to vote in a public election in DC, you could vote for school board or the president. There was no local government, no city council, no mayor to be voted on. And there were 
89 candidates for 12 spots. And it's just amazing that that poster is here right next to it is a poster from that same month, November 68, toward a black university conference at Howard University, an outcome of the April 68 Howard sit-ins. Another amazing one, the series of four posters for the Bohemian Caverns. There's Miles Davis, Wes Montgomery, and Roberta Flack, who's also a classmate of my dad's. And, and then to the left, April 68, is a wonderful poster called Heroes that was part of an event at the Bohemian Caverns organized by the SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee organizer, Stokely Carmichael in April 68, just weeks after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King in the heart of the uprisings in D.C. It's just, it's amazing just how D.C. is in flux, the nation is in flux, and it's both happening that my dad was making posters for local organizing and federal organizing. Just next to them in that exhibit room are, there's a poster for the Peace Corps. The director of graphics was Washington Color School painter Paul Reed, who commissioned that poster in 1970. So it's a poster for the Peace Corps. It says Peace Corps in bold blue and black letters at the top. And then in red and white in the middle, looking like a flag, it says, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And then on the bottom, we have some blue, it looks like it's almost flames, but it, it reminds me of a flag. And then a green border on the right side. Well, this piece here, having to do with service in the community, many of us didn't have a whole lot to say about what was going on in the community, except through our artwork. So the opportunity to do something for the Peace Corps about service meant a great deal to me, and especially the rights of people to express themselves. More than anything, that's what it was about. It was during a time that we were all looking, we meaning artists, were looking for ways to express their ideas about what life was like. But at the same time, it was an opportunity to experiment with color to see how color related to all these desires and ideas that we didn't have before. You know, I wanted to show what it was like to be of service, and so looking around for a statement of ser service and what it had meant to people over a period of time, and finally, just completing that particular thought, because as, I, as ideas ran through my head, it was very important to me to establish a sense of order, a sense of beginning, a sense of serving. It was all ideas that were abstract during that particular time. Yeah. That's lovely. I have one last question. Do you have any advice for artists today, young artists who might be listening? It's to find something to believe in 
which is one of our most difficult thoughts today, to find something that, that we can believe in, that we can express, that would also complement our involvement with life as we know it right now. And that's a difficult thing, yeah. Tall order. Mr. Stovall, Mr. Lou Stovall and Will, thank you so much for being here today. This has been an honor. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your archival. It's so important to our city. You're welcome. You're welcome, thank you. <laughs> and before you go, here's lead producer Priyanka Tilvey with some quick news. DC's 911 agency wants to try texting in some situations as a way to reduce calls to the short-staffed agency. The director said they are desperately trying to fill the shortage of 911 dispatchers, but the intense training required makes it kind of tricky. It's one of the many issues plaguing the agency, which have at times led to fatal accidents. Meanwhile, 448 people died in DC of fatal overdoses last year. That's a new record and nearly 90% of them were Black residents. The city has set up a lot of interventions, like Narcan vetting machines and a sobering center, but advocates say a safe use center is critical for saving lives. And lastly, Georgetown's canal boat is back. Public rides were expected to be on hiatus until 2025, while the National Park Service repairs part of the CNO Canal. But the Georgetown Heritage Organization made a surprise announcement that they'll start back up on May 5th. And of course, we couldn't let you go without your DC life hack. There are so many free exercise classes in the city. My personal favorite is the Zumba class at Malcolm X Park or Meridian Hill Park on Sundays at 11 o'clock. The instructor is so energetic and the dance routines are really fun. Uh, it's also a great people watching opportunity. So if you're ever bored and you're in the neighborhood, stop by Malcolm X Park on a Sunday at 11. I promise you will not be disappointed. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, think of your artsiest friend and text them the link to this episode now. And while you're at it, hit that subscribe button. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then. Can I? Well, I probably don't want to disparage Peter Thiel. <laughs> Never mind. Because people always talk about how he's like a super villain. <laughs>